0: Hey, good morning, Northeast. So good to see you guys again. Hey, if during the course of the weekend, you're around campus and you see people wearing these t-shirts, grab them and thank them and encourage them. These are t-shirts for our Next Gen team, uh, people serving in our Next Gen ministry. They are our lead disciple makers in that ministry, boots on the ground, with kids, with teens, week in, week out. So please encourage them in that in- endeavor. Um, also, thank you, Next Gen team. This is the one weekend a year I get to wear a t-shirt to Work. Um, Also, just kidding, um, but also, uh, if you're a member at Northeast, just a quick heads up on one thing. So, we're in the fall. And we are marching towards December, believe it or not, just a couple of months away, which is our annual meeting. Um, this year at our annual meeting, uh, we are rolling out a, a few revisions to our bylaws that as members, uh, you need to be informed of and you will vote on at that meeting. And per our bylaws, we need to notify you now. And so those revisions are on our website. Uh, if you go to the, the weekend worship guide, nbc.ch mobile, you'll see a link right there on the worship guide just click on that. You can read those. It's riveting stuff. It it will change your relationship with Jesus. So uh, read those. Be informed. We'll we'll come back at a later time. Uh, We are going to set up listening meetings where we can answer your questions, have people ask about why we're making these changes. We're making them because we need to. We need to serve people better, and these are things that need to be adjusted as we're growing and as we're seeking to serve people. So check that out but not now, because now we're going to talk about this thing that we're called to, disciple-making. We're in this series called Marked. Uh, How do we leave a spiritual imprint on those around us? I don't know about you, but I have a really complicated, like really complicated relationship with the the mirrors at the gym. (laughs) The problem is they're always lying to me, I don't know if you, if you experience this, but when you walk into the gym, right, just this huge wall, like the biggest wall they can find, they layer with mirrors. And when you walk in and you're not sweaty in your workout gear, you're feeling good, you look fit, I feel, I look fit. I'm like, yes, here we are. And, and when I'm working out, right, and lifting weights and I catch a glimpse of myself, which it's clearly, that's not often, but when I do lift weights and I catch a glimpse of myself, the mirror tells me always that, that I am bigger and, and better than I am actually am when I'm looking at myself. But here's the flip side of those mirrors. Those mirrors are so big that it's really easy to look at other people too. And in the midst of the workout when I'm looking at myself I'm feeling really great and I can look in the mirror I can look at other people and be like oh I'm doing better than that guy right. Maybe, maybe you have this I'm, I'm doing better than her but there, there's also that other person And once you see them, you can't stop comparing yourself to them for the rest of the workout. And you see them, and you're like, oh, I do not look like that guy. I do not have arms like that girl, right? See, here's the thing about the the gym and these mirrors. If you compare yourself to the wrong thing, you can get a wrong sense of who you are and what you need. You get a wrong sense of of who you are, what you need, and and how you're doing. And honestly, the same is true when it comes to our walk with Jesus. When it comes to being a disciple, when it comes to going and making disciples of Jesus, this thing that Jesus has called us to do, there is a standard, there is a target, there is one place, and there is one person that we are called to look to. And it's Jesus, Jesus. At its core, discipleship is about looking to Jesus so that we can become more like Jesus. And what we're going to see today from Scripture is that at the center, at the target of this pursuit, is the person of Jesus. Essentially, what I want to show you today is that discipleship is Jesus-centric. Discipleship is Jesus-centric, and this may seem obvious if you've been around the church world for a while. It may seem like, oh, great, I've heard this message before, but here's the problem. While this is a truth that we know, it's often a truth we struggle to live, that Jesus is at the center of what we're doing as disciples. And for that reason, we have to come back to it because it's one of these foundational principles that until we get this, everything else won't quite fit right. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 discipleship is Jesus-centric. This is the very thing that Jesus shows us in Jesus' call to himself to be disciples. So if we want to understand what discipleship is, what it means to go and make disciples, we have to go back to Jesus' own words and his own definition of what this looks like. And we find it in Matthew 4, in Jesus' call to his disciples. Matthew, two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you have a physical Bible, grab it, turn there with me, pull it up on whatever app you use. Matthew chapter 4, and this is what Matthew, one of the disciples of Jesus, records for us. Matthew 4 verse 18, while walking by the sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So just pause there with me. So this is the call of discipleship from, from Jesus to these men. Jesus has just begun his public ministry. This is his very first call to the very first disciples. And what Jesus says in this call absolutely becomes the standard, the foundation for how we are to understand this pursuit, this pursuit of following Jesus, what it looks like and what it should encompass. Matthew says, verse 18, that Jesus, as he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, he comes along these two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and Matthew says they were casting their nets, and I love that Matthew has to fill in the blank for us, because they were fishermen. I wonder what they were doing with their nets. They were fishermen. But this will become important later, when Jesus tells them what he wants them to do with their lives. At this point, Jesus turns to to Simon and to Andrew, and he says to them these words, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This is foundational stuff, but it's so important that we get what Jesus is saying in this moment. Because with this one statement, Jesus describes the entire pursuit of discipleship. So let's break it down. First, Jesus says, follow me. That seems elementary, but even though most of us have heard this statement, not all of us are living it out. Jesus says, I want you to follow me. Meaning that in this moment, Jesus redefines what the center, what the target, what the goal of our lives should be if we claim to know him and if we desire to pursue him. The goal of discipleship is about following Jesus. He's the standard. He's the goal. If you're working out on the gym floor and you're looking into the mirror, who are you looking at? Jesus. Jesus. You're not comparing yourself to anybody else in the gym at this point. If you're a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, it's Jesus that you're comparing your life to. You're not looking down the end of the aisle saying, well, at least I wore a button up to church. That guy's wearing a (laughs) t-shirt. You're not looking across the street at your neighbors saying, well, at least we get up to, to go to church on Sunday mornings. You're not looking at the people that you work with or the people in your family when we're on the gym floor working out in this pursuit, we're looking to Jesus. He is the standard. He is the target by which our lives are measured. Make sense? I mean, it's foundational, right? So you are like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get to the meat. But here's the thing. So many of us will put something else very often at the center of our lives. We begin in pursuit of Jesus and then we very quickly find ourselves off down another road. It's so easy to do. First John chapter 2 says this, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he, Jesus, walked. 1 John 2, 6. If we claim that we've been changed by him and that we're pursuing him and we're walking with him, then walk like him. Do what he does. We keep our eyes on Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as who? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We're to be imitators of God. And the example of God given to us as of what it looks like to go through life is Jesus. He's a standard. When we look in the mirror, he's the one we're comparing ourselves to. What is Jesus doing now? Lap pulls? Okay, let's, let's go. <laughs> that word follow, we, we unpacked last week. Follow literally means, or uh, a few months ago rather, uh, follow literally means to come after or walk behind To come after or walk behind. We are to come after Jesus. We are to walk behind him in step with him. If you've been in the military, you know this very well. Because in the military, they say, fall in. What happens when they say, fall in? When you fall in line, you march not only where they march, but you march how they march. They're going to teach you how to march. Because your way, not good enough. They're going to teach you a new and a better way. And here's the thing. When you're in boot camp, you don't get to walk wherever you want to walk. You walk their way at their instruction under their leadership to where they are going. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means he's the one we're submitting to. We walk his way under his authority, submitting to his leadership, accepting the command of his voice. We walk his way. We're going to form a definition of discipleship this week, unpack it in three parts, all of it designed to show us that discipleship at its core is Jesus-centric. The first part of the, the definition is this, a disciple is someone who submits to the authority of Jesus, and you can write in brackets there, follow me. Jesus, follow me. He's asking these guys, hey, I want you to come after me. You're going to submit to my authority. I'm the rabbi. You're going to be the disciple. And a disciple would pursue the rabbi, but submit not just to his teaching, not just to taking down notes and being like, oh, that was a really good point, Jesus. No, a disciple would submit to wherever the rabbi went, however the rabbi lived, and he would take that up as his own lifestyle. A disciple is someone who submits to the authority, the authority of Jesus when he says, come, follow me. Here's the thing. This should be a no-brainer. This should absolutely be a no-brainer, but it's not. So often in the church, our conversations are different than this. Jesus says, come and follow me, discipleship being Jesus-centric, but so often our, our conversations in the church look and sound a little bit more like this. I want to be a better parent. I I want to be a better leader. I want to have a better marriage. Now, don't misunderstand me. All of those things are good pursuits in and of themselves. Nothing wrong with desiring to be better in those areas. But when that becomes the dominant focus... There are always going to be other things in life that are left unfinished, untouched by the image of Jesus. So many of us will come then into a relationship and say, hey, here's the thing. I've, I, I, I'm struggling in this, and I've seen how you parent, and so I, I want to parent like you do. And so they will, they will pursue you, or maybe you've pursued someone else, and you said, I, I want to be a better parent. Like, parenting is killing me in this season. Like, there's hormones now, and everything was easy when it was just diapers, and I could put them to bed. But now they think on their own. I don't know how to do that. And so maybe you've been in this place where you can, I, I need to be a better parent. So what do you do in this moment? You'll often go to someone that you respect, and you say, hey, I want to learn from you. But I want to learn from you how to be a better this, because, because you do this really, really well. And here's the deal. When this becomes at the center of that conversation, you will look to that person for advice. But, but maybe in that relationship, you'll, you'll also get a book. You'll support Jeff Bezos and Amazon, and you'll, you'll order a book on how to be a better parent. Because that person will say, you know, the, the book that really helped us what was this one? And so why don't we read it together? And so now a book is a part of the conversation. And hey, let's unpack how was it for your mom and your dad? What was your family dynamic like? Let, let's unpack that. And, and if this person is a really good person and, and a Jesus-loving person, then in this conversation, they might bring up Jesus. If they're wearing one of these T-shirts, they better bring up Jesus. Okay? <laughs> But see, what happens in this is when we have something else at the center, we're we, we looking to other people and other voices, and we're just trying to be a better this. What we're saying is, hey, I want a parent like you do. I, I want to be better at this. So teach me to do what you do. But here's the thing about discipleship. See, I, I would categorize this, if we're going to choose words, I would categorize this as mentoring, All right. This is this is a mentoring relationship right here. Something else starts it out, and it's great that that's at the center. And hopefully, that person knows Jesus, and they're gonna they're gonna bring Jesus into it. But when the goal is just to be a better parent, that's only part of what Jesus wants for us. See, here's what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to come and follow me. I need to be at the center. And here's the thing about following Jesus. If we follow Jesus and we look to his authority and submit to his authority, Jesus and the scriptures promise, hey, that in me, I'm gonna help you with that parenting thing. In me, we're gonna have some conversations about marriage, or relationships. In me, we're going to talk about what that looks like at work as a leader. In me, we're going to talk about your kids. We're going to talk about money. When Jesus is at the center and gets a hold of our lives and we submit to his authority, Jesus has the power to transform everything else. And suddenly, the conversation isn't then about how do I do parenting like you do, because Jesus doesn't want to just change what we do. Jesus wants to transform who we are. And Jesus' desire to transform who we are shapes everything else we do. It's so subtle. But it's so important. Because so often, we chase after one part of our life when Jesus says, no, I want your heart. Because when I get your heart, we get to talk about every part of your life. And a disciple is someone who submits the authority of Jesus in this way. When Jesus is at the center, and we're allowing him to transform who we are, it changes everything. And there's a big, but important distinction between saying, I want to be a better parent and saying, I want Jesus to shape my parenting. I, I want a better marriage or marriage, I-, I-, or I want Jesus to shape my marriage. There's a difference. It leads to the next thing then that Jesus says and the next part of what scripture even promises in this. Look at, look at it. He doesn't just say, follow me. He says, follow me and I will make you follow me and i will make you we talked about this word last week make literally means to form or fashion it has this intensely personal kind of artist sense to it with an artist molding clay and shaping it with his own hands jesus saying if you follow me i will make you into something greater we'll get to what that is in a moment let's hang on this word for a moment I will form or fashion something new in you scripture promises if you submit to Jesus authority surrender to his call what he's asking you to do it will transform you Romans 12 verse 2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And Paul in Romans is pointing to Jesus, pointing to the gospel, and he's pointing to scripture and saying that when you conform to this, when you get into this, it transforms you. Scripture promises then that God has the power, and as we submit and surrender our lives to him, He has the power to form and transform our lives, to give us a new heart, a new mind, new thinking, new desires. Church, don't don't you want to have transformed desires? Aren't you tired of fighting that same old, same old? And Jesus says, man, when you come to me and follow me, I have the power to make something new in you leads to the second part of the definition. The second part is this, that a disciple is someone who not only submits to the authority of Jesus, the following me part, but also surrenders to the work of Jesus. It's for submitting to the authority, the person of Jesus is also surrendering to his work. It it may seem like a subtle distinction, but it's another important distinction. Possible to say that you believe in Jesus, but not take his commands seriously. Possible to say that you're following Jesus, but not giving over parts of your life to things that Jesus says needs to change. Things in the word of God that he wants to transform. Years and years ago, when we were doing ministry uh, up in Dallas... A friend called me up. I knew him fairly well at the church. And and so we met up at Starbucks and we started a conversation. And he said to me, Hey, we're man going through some things right now. I could really use some help and some coaching, wisdom. Um, and, and and so here's the deal. And he started unpacking for me what was going on, and his marriage just was a mess. His marriage was not going well. And he said, I, I need help with our marriage. I need to, to fix this thing. And I don't know how, and I'm kind of at wit's end, and we're just fighting all of the time. As I began probing and asking questions, not just over that meeting, but over a couple meetings, he began to realize that a lot of the issues in the marriage were tied to other things in his heart and in his soul, and in particular, tied to a part of his life that he didn't want to let go of, and it was causing conflict at home. And quickly realized through the course of conversations that he wanted to fix this, without addressing this. He, he wanted to fix the fighting and the, the nagging. His words, not mine. <laughs> but the habits that he was holding on to and the old lifestyle that were causing the conflict in the first place was something that he wasn't willing to put on the table in front of Jesus. He finally reached a point where it's was like, I don't know how to help you. Because here's the deal. I mean, we could put marriage at the center and i could give you tips and i could tell you to buy flowers and all but here's the deal jesus wants more and and jesus has the power to transform your marriage but but he wants to talk about some of these other things too the things the deeper that are causing it the things in you not just the things in her And he didn't want to put those things on the table for Jesus. And long story short, he's no longer married. There are a lot of things that can end up kind of being in the back corners where we say that Jesus is center in our lives, but we have these hidden rooms. We have these doors that we don't want to open. Jesus, I love you, but the finance door is locked. Jesus, I love you, but my, my work life, off the table, it's what got me here. And Jesus is saying, but I wanna transform everything. I don't just wanna change what you do there, I wanna transform who you are, so that Jesus shows up everywhere. See, it's a subtle difference maybe to your ears, but it's a massive difference in your life. A disciple is someone who submits to the authority of Jesus and surrenders to the work of Jesus. I will make and remake and reform and transform you. But then Jesus talks about where that transformation ultimately heads because he has a destination in mind, he has a goal for you. He says, Follow me and I will make you, what's the last phrase? Fishers of men. I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus isn't content with just keeping us where we're at. He has a new place and a new purpose for us. When we put Jesus at the center, he promises not just transformation internally, but he promises a new mission, a new purpose, a new calling externally too a whole new direction. It's not just that Jesus makes you a better version of you. Understand that is not the gospel. It's part of the gospel. That he saves you, he redeems you, he transforms you, but he doesn't just leave you, you, there. He calls you into something bigger than you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We reflected on Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 5 last week that all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You have been given a ministry. Jesus' goal for your life is not just that you would punch in and punch out day in, day out so that your kids would have clothes on their back and a roof over their head. That is not the sum of of your life any longer if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. He is doing something new. Don't you want more than just punching in and punching out? Jesus says, I invite you to take up a ministry where as you go and do what you do, you get to be a part of something that has eternal weight to it where my eternal glory is being made evident through you. You get to reflect the full weight of eternal glory every time you show up to do what you do when Jesus is at the center. It means he doesn't just want you to be a better pilot who manages your schedule better and isn't so tired when you get home that you're able to engage with your kids He wants you to be a pilot that makes disciples as you go. We talked about this last week. He doesn't just want to make you a better mom so that you're more patient with the kids when things are going down at home. No, he wants to make you someone who reflects the full weight of his glory, not just to your kids, but to the other moms that you meet with, to those in your neighborhood. Jesus has something greater It's not about aiming at other things. It's not about trying to compare ourselves then to others. It's about putting Jesus at the center and letting Jesus lead us and call us into something greater. And it leads to the final part then of the the definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone who submits to the authority of Jesus, follow me, surrenders to the work of Jesus, I will make, and takes up the mission of Jesus. It's the fishers of men part. Takes up the mission of Jesus in every area of life, every single day. And this can only be done when he's at the center. It's about wanting more of him, not just wanting a more and better fill-in-the-blank. This is how we define discipleship at Northeast. If you want to be a part of Northeast, you want to be a part of our movement forward, you want to be a part of what we're doing in in our city and in the world on mission with us, then this is the call. This is the invitation. Why? Because it was Jesus' invitation. It's so important to us that we understand this and get back to it as a foundation, that we want to spend a weekend coming back to it. This is the call. So what does this mean for us? And let me just put some shoe leather on it, make it real practical for a moment, in terms of how does this change how we act and operate day in, day out with people? First and foremost, if you're in a discipling relationship, maybe you've been invited into a relationship, maybe you started a relationship saying, I want to talk about parenting, or I want to talk about marriage, or maybe you're in a life group, or or you're just about to attend your very first life group at Northeast, then then here's what we want you to hear. At the center of all of those conversations needs to be this. You read scripture and talk Jesus. Read scripture, talk Jesus. That's our mode here. That's our mode here. Can can we read other books then? Because I read a really good book on that that I think might help them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But always bring it back to who? Jesus. It's great that other people have great things to say and we can learn from them. Absolutely but we always bring it back to the person of Jesus. Read scripture, talk Jesus. For every life group, if you're a life group leader here, for every one of our small group leaders wearing one of these shirts that feels a little bit like a stick of spearmint gum this morning, like this this is the calling, this is the calling. With the, the lesson and the curriculum put in front of you, there are things to get the kids' attention. There are ways to keep them settled, but at the end of the day, the scripture is what matters. We wanna read scripture and we wanna talk to Jesus at every opportunity, that's the goal. And if you're in one of these relationships, that's what we're asking you to do. I think that's what Jesus is asking us to do. If you're leading someone in one of these relationships, then read scripture, talk Jesus. What, what does that look like when you're out and about When your neighbor calls and needs to borrow your mower because his went kaput, and I'm standing out on the driveway with him the other night, what does it look like in those relationships where he doesn't know Jesus, and his language is clearly indicating that he's mad at his mower, and he doesn't know Jesus cares, right? So here's what this looks like in everyday life. When you go into the office, when you step into the cockpit, when you're seeing another patient, we're inviting Jesus into that moment and we're making him center. It's not about our job in that moment, it's about Jesus being center in that moment. And in that moment, what I often do is I simply ask God, God, give me a scripture and a way to point to Jesus. So with people who don't know Jesus, right, like, let's pull out the Bible and spend time together. Like, I realize that's a hard conversation, but what I asked God to do in that moment is, Lord, would you bring a scripture to mind so that I can somehow point to you in this conversation? It doesn't mean we have to be cheesy about it. When my neighbor borrowed the mower, I wasn't like, you know what Jesus says about grass? Like he has green pastures for you, right? No, 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 no. Like you gotta build the relationship. And, but so often in, in, in my work right people are coming to me frequently asking for help asking for advice and here in those moments what I do before I say anything and even when I'm tempted to give advice I stop and in my mind in my heart I'm praying and I'm saying Lord what would you have me say and Lord would you bring to mind your word your truth for this person and here's the thing that I found when I pause And I ask God to give me his word, the scripture, to bring to mind a scripture for that person. Nine times out of 10, he does. And the one time that he doesn't, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I realize it's just a lawnmower exchange. I don't need to get weird. But nine times out of 10, God brings something to mind. I'm like, you know what? The the problem that you're talking about with your kid, it, it makes me think of what Jesus said and oftentimes, I'm very honest. I, I, I don't even remember where he said it. But I, but I remember that, that he shared this parable. And I don't remember the address, but I know the parable so well. And, and I will share that scripture. And I'll plant the seed. And I'll do my best to point to Jesus. And At that point, then then my job is done. I've I've cast the net. I've cast the scripture and and the Holy Spirit now, right? I trust him with the rest. This is what it looks like when you step into the cockpit And, and, and the conversation is all fun and games until, you know, a couple of hours in and the guy's like, you know, man, my kids are driving me nuts right now. Man, parenting in diapers was easy compared to parenting with hormones. You say, Okay, Lord, Lord, Lord. What scripture, what word would you have me say? What from your truth is relevant in this moment? When we're going through the budget and when my manager is upset and we're feeling behind, like what do I do in this meeting? What's the seed that I can plant from scripture? think scripture, you point to Jesus. This is what it means to have Jesus as the center. But can I just talk to a couple of you? A couple of you who are feeling just burdened and you're not even at the point where you're thinking about talking to other people about Jesus because you are just crushed right now under the weight of what you're walking through and I think in light of this can I just ask a question that, that I think God would have us all reflect on this weekend is Jesus at the center maybe you're mad at Jesus because the job didn't come through. That might be a reflection that, that really work is at the center. Maybe, maybe you're struggling with Jesus because the marriage and the relationship is at this terrible place. It that might be an indication that the marriage is at the center, the relationship is at the center. Can I just ask and invite us all, in light of Jesus' words, to follow him, Can we just do an audit of our lives for a second and invite the Holy Spirit to ask this question, Lord, what's at the center? What's at the center right now for you? If Jesus isn't at the center, it's gonna show up. It's gonna show up. And Jesus wants to be invited in because he has a work that he wants to do And he has something more that he wants you to live for. But it takes our willingness to submit to him and surrender to his teaching. Would you today be willing to put Jesus, Jesus at the center? Would you pray with me? Father, you invite all who are weary and heavy laden to come to you. And the promise in scripture, Father, is that your yoke, your burden is light. It's not a burden at all because, God, you are bearing the greatest burden for us. So, Father, for my brothers and sisters this morning who are bearing burdens, for my brothers and sisters this morning who have been living with other things at the center, Father God, in your grace and in your compassion, would you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open their eyes to that. And with the love of the prodigal father, would you welcome them home, call them home. Father, we confess, as the scriptures call us to do, we repent, Lord, of our tendency to put so many other things at the center of our lives. And today we lay that down. God, we lay the job before you. We lay the money before you. Lord, we lay the relational drama before you. Jesus, would you teach us to keep you at the center? And Father, look to you and what you wanna do in us to transform us. And Father, would you have your way and do that work in us, we pray the power of your spirit and in the name of your son Jesus and all God's people said amen if you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series visit nebc.ch/contact be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast you can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.